conversating? <laughs> conversating with Pops and Ade. Yep, conversating mm-hmm. with Pops and Ade. Well, I'm Peter J. Harris. And I'm Ada Nike A. Harris. And this is Conversating with Pops and Ade. Conversating with Pops and Ade. Let's go. Let's get started. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Hey, so this episode, I get to ask you some questions. What? So that you can tell our listeners in a rich, textured way. You know, what's driving you? And a term that you have been nurturing since, at least since the thesis, is restorative notions. Oh, yeah. Come on, help us understand what that means. Por okay. favor. Well, first of all, thanks everybody for coming back and listening to Conversating with Pops and Ade. I just wanted to make sure I said that before I dove into explaining what restorative notions means um, to me and why it has been a term that I have stuck with. Um, Restorative notions is actually just my thesaurus uh, game wordplay. When we was doing my master's degree, I was trying to find words that meant healing and and other words for for thoughts. So healing Mm -hmm. thoughts is exactly what restorative notions means. Because I named my master's thesis Restorative Notions, Reclaiming My Voice, Reclaiming My Father, um, which you can download if you'd like to read it again. I mentioned mm-hmm. it before in previous episodes. But um, that you mentioned it because if people jump on it, oh, yeah, better be ready because it's yeah. a lot of intense, passionate, and yeah, serious discussion, absolutely. Um, so the term came up to, for me because it was like restorative notions, really thinking about. Our thoughts are the powers to um, our healing. Like the always, I think the old saying, or it's not even an old saying, but now it's kind of like really circulating a lot. Is what you think is typically what you are. Is what you what you become. Your thoughts are really powerful. So if you're thinking negative thoughts, you're going to most likely be in a negative state of being. Um, I've just decided that healing thoughts. If you're thinking healing and restorative, which to restore actually means to rebuild and bring it back to, I guess, the beginning where it was birthed. That's how I look at it. I can actually Google the full definition of restore and really break it down. But I let you guys do that on your own phones. So that's what restorative notions. But it's is more me. than just a word play, isn't it? Isn't it something deeper? What is it? How does it resonate in you when you say those words together? And, and how do you act in a, in a way that represents restorative notions? Oh, good question. I've never actually been asked that. So thanks. Give me a couple of seconds to um, let that absorb. How restorative notions resonates for me is it's a lifestyle. It's really about living my life intentionally with intention to heal myself from the inside out mentally Um, emotionally, spiritually, but then also to engage people from a restorative and healing space. Not always like, I'm not buying into, I guess, negative um, experiences, gossip, things like that. So I really work at living a restorative life, like keeping my thoughts on a higher vibrational level or like higher like experience 
Um, also, I engage with people who are involved in healing thoughts and healing um, modalities and ideas. So that for me is is how it, it resonates. So no, it's not just wordplay. It is really a lifestyle. It is something that has led me to want that to be my legacy. It's, it's why I named my business Restorative Notions, my coaching business. I remember when I got my certification back in 2015, I kept asking you, what kind of coach should I be? There are so many languages. We've got transformational coach. You've got um, just basic life coach. You've got a relationship coach. You've got all of these things. I remember you describing to me what um, whole living means to you as you use it for your voice music, your choir. And then I remember as I described why I wanted to become a coach was because as individuals, we are whole. We are whole, complete beings. We are a sphere, as I described, it's like a circle, but it's a full, it's three-dimensional, we're, we're complex. But as we go through this life, we experience, whether it's traumas, as we've been discussing, life shocks, that they don't have to be as intense as, a, as PTSD, as a violent trauma, but an emotional, mental, spiritual trauma is something that puts a nick, like a, a dent or something in our sphere, in our wholeness. And then we're walking around with a little, you know got a little hick in our inner step or if you got a lot of experiences in your life and life shocks that create different moments for you you have a lot more dense in your sphere you have a lot more dense in your experience and your existence and for me when you describe whole living for you and I'll get I'll, I would love to give you the opportunity to break that down and why you use whole living as your um your version like what your mm -hmm, experiences mm -hmm. of it your definition. But for me, I just said, oh, I would like to be a whole living coach. And the reason why is because my goal is to create and restore people's thoughts, their spirits, their experience, their existence to slowly in their own way, build up the tools and the capacity from the inside out to tap out the dents in your own sphere. I'm not going to do it for you. That's not what a coach does. A, a really good coach doesn't necessarily do the work for you. They give you tools. They provide you with um, different modalities. And they and really just like, hey, here's your toolbox. Fill it up with these kinds of coping mechanisms, these strategies, these different types of thought processes, hence restorative notions, your thoughts, your healing thoughts to be. That's why I'm a whole living coach. That's what whole living means to me, to help every individual that I come across, whether it's through my coaching, but even just in life as friends, like figure out how to tap slowly and gently the different dents that are in your sphere that makes up your existence. So how would you do that in different for different age groups, for example? So I know you've worked with adults, you've worked with, and I know you choose to work mainly with women, if I remember. Mm -hmm. uh, but also like, so could you give folks a, an example of how you might approach a person who's an adolescent versus, say, uh, a, prof a professional who's in their 30s or 40s mm -hmm. thinking about, you know, living in a way that reflects restorative notions. Mm -hmm. Well, first, I want to be very clear. I don't really work with adolescents unless the parents are involved. Mm -hmm. um, I typically prefer to always work with anyone over the age of 18. But I have experience with 14-year-olds, 15 and beyond, 
um, with their parents' consent. And mainly, it's really, I'm always, and this is across the board with anybody, I meet people where they are. Um, a 14 year old is not going to be as sophisticated in their emotional intelligence and their just life experience as someone who is 35, even though we know that there are some 35 year olds who are not as emotionally <laughs> some, intelligent. Some, some 14 year olds and older, and some 14 year olds are pretty wise true, beyond true, their true. years. But I typically just meet them where they are. I let them know that I see them in a, in a way of empathy and understanding. And I listen. I think the biggest thing that we as human beings crave and desire is to be heard. Truly, not just someone talking and you're just saying stuff and you're hearing what I'm saying, but to really be heard and to be seen, like, especially if you've experienced uh, trauma. So... I don't give I'm not going to give you steps because each person is individual. Okay, so I don't have okay. a I don't have like a cookie cutter Understood. explanation. But for a 14-year-old, I'd see where they are if I'm working with them because maybe they're acting out in school and they're not talking or they're they're dealing with some emotional experience that has happened in the home. I just kind of talk to them, ask them if they want to talk about it. And if they don't, then we discuss the things that they do want to talk okay, about. Okay. I think that's the piece that a lot of people, you know, a therapist is really good for talk therapy to dive deep into it, to really um, analyze the psycho and that analytic, excuse me, the psychoanalytics of someone's brain chemistry. If they need a psychiatrist to really be on medication, I truly, truly believe in that. I, I am an advocate for psychotherapy and psychiatry um, if it is a necessity. And to determine that necessity means you have to look, again, at the whole being, the whole purpose. You don't automatically put people on medication. You don't automatically throw people into talk therapy because talk therapy may not work for them. They may need dance therapy first. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. They may need art therapy first. They may just need a coach first that can work in different different parts of their of their world before guiding them to really digging into psychotherapy like hey you're reaching a block that i can't work through and work with you in i'm gonna recommend this therapist for you to help you go through that door okay. because that's a door that you're keeping <clears throat> locked and i am not equipped as a coach to go through it i know my limits i know what i can do um so that especially with a 14 year old you have to be very you know aware of those boundaries um, but with a 35-year-old or even a 65-year-old, I I can push a little bit more with an adult because I can see patterns a lot faster. I can really, you know, to be honest, I can call bullshit a lot faster mm -hmm, because mm -hmm. it's like, okay, you don't see that pattern, but I'm going to show you the pattern that I'm seeing based on this story of, of experience that you've shared with me. Um, but I do emphasize I do not have a cookie cutter experience. I look at, at someone's whole experience based on an intake that I take asking them about their life. Why are they coming to see me? And then I just talk to them about it. I listen to what they have to say. I read between the lines in a way because we usually divulge only what we want someone to know even when we're asking them for help. We just kind of give them the surface. So my job as a coach is to see the surface, the tip of the iceberg, so to say, and then go deeper and help you get down there, too. And that's typically what I do. That's how I like to work. Uh, I don't like surface experiences. Um, my choices for working with women are because um, it's not a comfort thing. It's really about um, women being able to open up and feeling a little bit more for them uh, a comfort. But for me... I can work with men, but I typically am 
don't like to because I just feel like they have a lot more boundaries to break down. And I believe that a male, for me, my opinion, only my opinion, but I believe that a male um, person who's reaching out for coaching can get more benefit from a male coach or someone that can really tap into masculinity because I'm not a man. I don't really know what it's like to be a man and what those experiences are. So when you're doing these dynamic um, uh, sessions with folks, let's let's just focus on the adults now. Mm-hmm. How are you improving yourself? How do you, I always ask, how does the healer heal mm. him or herself? I wonder if you think about that as it relates to restorative notions and healing thoughts. Absolutely. Um, how I heal myself is to know when I'm burnt out to know when I can't take on another client or even if the client I have is leaving too much on me and they're not doing their work. And I learned that because I also continue my education always. I take classes. I I recently took a class on the inner light method. Shout out to Dr. Nikki Elliott, um, amazing practitioner to really, really explain um, the effects of neuroscience and and the effects of the brain and trauma on the brain. Um, So I took a course with her to learn how to manage my own energy, manage what it feels like, (laughs) manage what it feels like to put out more than and not protect myself and then absorbing other people's energies and experiences because that can become very overwhelming as a practitioner. Um, I still, you know, read articles, read books. I go, I have, I am a Graduate of New Ventures West, which is a coaching school out in San Francisco. So I still am a part of their newsletter and, you know, time and finances permitting. I always like to be in the loop about new classes there. So that's the how I keep myself. And then I also know when to say no. I do a free intake on purpose to determine if someone's presenting issue is something that I feel that I can effectively work with and and help them through. Otherwise, if I feel like it might be too much or that person is not really ready to dig in, I won't take that person on as a client. Oh, okay. Like okay. I'm I am okay with saying no. It's not really about the money for me. It's really about making sure that I am an impactful practitioner to whomever my client are is. Um Does doing this work make you happy? Actually, yes, it does. It's very fulfilling when I have a client that I'm sitting across from and we're talking, even if they're crying, even if they're having a an, ex, an emotional moment, it makes me feel happy to know that this person is trusting me with their vulnerabilities. It makes me happy also towards the end of sessions when, you know, when their six month contract is up or their year contract is up and they're, t- and I'm seeing the changes in their life and the changing in how they're experiencing life and the stories that they're sharing with me. Like it makes me feel extremely happy, extremely grateful, extremely humble because I really don't take all the credit. I'm again, I go back to, I'm just providing tools. It's like you have your own tool belt, but sometimes it's empty. Sometimes you got the wrong tool. You might be trying to use a hammer when in reality you need to use a screwdriver. So I am really there to be like, ah, that's not the right it's not the right tool to use. Let's work on this one. Oh, mm-hmm. and then it opens up. And so that's the joy for me is when I see a client realize like, oh, oh, you mean all I need to do is this? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. that's really it. It's like, oh, and then they use that because that's also the thing that I really enjoy, creating practices. A practice is, for those of us who are athletes, 
you know what practice is. You go to practice mm-hmm. Monday through Friday. You got your, your game on Saturday or in the mm-hmm. middle of the week, but you have practice to make it better. Mm-hmm. So if I give you a tool, and it may not be a tool that you're used to working with, but I give you a practice over the next couple of weeks before we meet again so that you can keep using it and like, oh, right. I applied this. It now makes sense. I'm, it's making, excuse me, it's making it easier to use. So... That's, like drills, it's like drills. It's like drills, yeah. right? Or like what's sprints. that little thing? Yeah, you know, you know, I always laugh when I watch some track athletes do that little <laughs> side steppy, little skippy uh, thing. My coach calls it the karaoke, <laughs> but other coaches um. probably call it something else. But it's when you, for those of you who know what it is, you can tell me what your coach used to call yeah. it. But when your arms are straight out and you're you're running sideways and you basically man. lift one leg over the other, one leg over the other, and you're you I know, try to do that, man. I, I felt you like failed. Pinocchio, but you also fail. I did. I literally <laughs> fell down. Uh, and while we're talking, I'm thinking about that, that uh, class where the lady has you, or the doctor has you um, uh, create a clay brain with different cl- colored clays. I always like that. Oh, so, yeah. That's that's Dr. Nikki Elliott. You, mm-hmm. have, you, make a, you make a diagram of your brain and learn all the different um, specific areas of the brain and then she describes to you what it does like i i have (laughs) have to say i have learned a lot about my brain because of that class yeah i like that i think we're both learning that too as well because you know um some of the stuff i read suggests you know when you're happy your brain chemistry is different absolutely you know when you're working in in what you know one psychologist calls the flow you know you are stopping time almost and and really Mm-hmm. You know, stepping outside of your normal sets of patterns, but I don't want to get but so deep because I ain't that deep. But I am. You are deep, uh, uh, deep. No, but I'm saying I don't want to act like I know. Somebody say, "Well, wait a minute, do you even know how to pronounce that scientist's name?" Because that psychologist I'm talking about has a right. a difficult name. Anyway, <laughs> I want to say this too to folks. You know, um, this idea of restorative notions and whole living. You know, on some levels, like you said at the top, you know, these are terminologies. These, mm-hmm. you know, these are vocabularies. Mm-hmm. But I want to tell people, you know, the commitment to collaborating, to communicating, to dance with difficulty, mm-hmm. to, um, you know, really, really explore what it means to be whole and healthy and happy. I mean, we've actually demonstrated that to one another. Mm-hmm. And as I say, you know, at any given time, we live dynamic lives. We live in the large, second largest city in the country population-wise, but physically it's the, probably the largest. And there's a lot going on. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, you could be driving, you could be on the subway, you could be walking, you have friends who go through trauma. And, but as it relates to what we have been doing, uh, with, you know, leading up to the TED Talk in 18 and then just, you know, you know, competing or rather applying to, to join the RAIN uh, PSA, the National mm-hmm. PSA, to, to this kind of work here with the podcast. You know, these are actual, you know, like outcomes of this restorative notions, mm-hmm. this healing thoughts uh, approach. You know, for me, how... Can you see these developments representing your work as a coach? I mean, you know, you're actually coaching me sometimes. Well, 
mean, you owe me some money. Then. No, I owe you no money. <laughs> I don't pay no money. You, uh, yeah, you, right. You, 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 I'm going to send you an invoice <laughs> yeah, okay. for coaching. Send it if you want. <laughs> It'll go in the pile. <laughs> you want to be... Um, no, it, no, it will be going to the shredder because oh, I'm not dang. paying no money. I'm going to pay my own invoice. My dad ain't nothing. Um, yes, the answer is yes. I... I think about when I was in grad school and restorative notions came to me because, like I said, it, it started as a practice of just finding words. Um, and those two words really stood out to me and they really hit me like, yeah, that's the life I want to lead. I want to lead a life of healing thoughts. I want to leave a life of restoring and creating and everything that we've done since me graduating from grad school, submitting my thesis to writing blogs and writing anything that we've co done. Co-writing that TED speech. Co-writing the TED speech, speaking. Because that was a direct co-writing experience. Yeah. Nobody, I didn't, you yeah. know, you you drafted, I drafted, yep. then we blended. Yep. Then we and got we, it helped yeah. and edited. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so yeah. Mm -hmm. all of the collaborations that we've done, the RAIN PSA, I'm just honored to be a part of that because that is a organization that has helped many women and men mm -hmm. who are victims of sexual assault and violence, and they do so much work. Um, I, I'm just honored to have been asked to be a part of this PSA. We should put that link somewhere. Yeah, whatever. I definitely. Don't, I don't know how to do all this stuff. So, so the answer is yes. I am definitely in awe and honor of being a part of this is this is my life. Restorative notions yeah. is my life. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I, well, I mean, I think it's important for people, just like you took the time to ask me about mm -hmm. my own particular track. Mm -hmm. It's important for people to hear you speak about your track, so to speak. Yeah. So, yeah, I just want to, you know, just thank everyone for listening and... It's just been an honor to work with you, Dad, in this. And an honor to work with you, too, daughter. You know, I'm just saying. It's actually been fun. And I know I fired you a couple of times. And <laughs> <laughs> well, a I quit tests. a couple of times. Yep, you quit a couple of times. So, you know, it's even. But thank you to everyone who has listened to season one of Conversating with Pops and Ada. You need to go do the Black Man of Happiness um, podcast. Ooh, thoughts. Yeah. Do you guys request it? I say you request it. Anyway, appreciate everybody. Thanks again and come back soon. Yeah. See you season two. All right. You've been listening to Conversating with Pops and Ade. We're your hosts, Peter Harris. And I'm Adenike Harris. Please, wherever you're listening to this podcast, subscribe, share with your friends, and give us feedback. Also, don't forget to follow us at our Instagram page at Pops and Ade, P-O-P-S-N-A-D-E. Facebook, we are Peter and Adenike Harris. And you can also find us on YouTube where you can see other videos of work that we have done, including our TED Talk entitled Healing versus Retaliation. Thanks again and come back soon.